Welcome to Center Stage. My name is Mark Gordon. Me to Play tells the story of Dan Moran and Chris Jones, two actors living with Parkinson's disease. They get together for a one-night performance of Samuel Beckett's play, Endgame, which may prove to be the performance of a lifetime. Stay tuned as we go center stage with Jim Burnfield, the director of Me to Play. You'd been friends with Dan for 20 years, and then one day, he tells you that he has Parkinson's disease. Well, it was interesting because my father had, when I was in film school, had uh, told us he had Parkinson's and then subsequently passed away of the disease. And so when, you know, half time, Dan and I know each other from uh, the bar scene in New York City where we're both rabid 49er fans. And uh, when he and when he turned to me at halftime in the Rams game and said, Jim, I've got something to tell you. I've got Parkinson's he didn't need to tell me because as soon as the words came out of his mouth, I could see the same features that my dad displayed in Dan's face, the sort of hanging jaw and the sort of sagging frozen cheeks. And it was devastating because I knew what the trajectory was. And uh, I don't think that people on the journey do know, but once you have experienced it as a, a caregiver, a member of family, it's devastating. You recognize that this is a terrible journey that someone's about to take or has already begun taking. And you just, you know, you want to give them all the support and love you can. Yeah, you show a little bit of that in the film. There's a scene with uh, Chris's wife. You can see it starting to really cause her a lot of stress and uh, discomfort. What must have that been like for you? Because in the beginning, your father is normal, or whatever that means, healthy. But then all of a sudden, you see the deterioration. It creeps up on you uh, profoundly, and it's uh, kind of a... um slide that sometimes kind of dips and turns and maybe some plateaus but it's continues to be a slide with chris's wife mary beth actually when after we finished that interview she turned to me and said so what happens next and i said um, i said well i wrap up the cable i download the material you know i start cutting it i send it to be um to be uh transcribed she said no i mean i mean you know with the disease and uh i just didn't have the heart really to tell her where it what the journey how it would continue because I didn't think that was my role. And frankly, uh, I didn't have a positive uh, response for her. So um, I kind of let it go. But um, but yes, it, the intensity with which I got to see the same journey that I'd been on uh, even other people was frankly very therapeutic for me. And I hope that it's helpful for people who watch this movie. It gives the audience some people to cheer for. And also if they have people in their lives who are going through this kind of thing, it gives them something to understand. There's an actor that comes in, and he, I, I think he's talking to Chris, and he says, this is the cleanest version of Beckett I've seen, which is really a testament to these two men that struggled with, uh, with putting this together. What do, you, what do you think he meant by that, that it was the cleanest version of Beckett? Well, to begin with, Beckett has, is a writer who's sort of tried to strip away all of the idiosyncrasies of our normal everyday experiences to get to the heart of something. And I think that he was saying that they'd gone even further, uh, had built on Beckett's uh, stripping away and streamlining to get to the absolute emotional core of, of Endgame, which is really about, it's like a 
you know, a Valdivian routine of repetitive sorrow leading to the, you know, inevitable uh, diminished end of their diminished lives, basically. And they're living that with Parkinson's. So, so this was the uh, 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 absolute um, clearest um, uh, iteration of the play because they were living basically the play on a day-to-day basis. Oh, I said cleanest, didn't I? <laughs> cleanest, clearest, both, both sort of work. I mean, uh, it's all about sort of stripping away the artifice and detritus and getting to the the nut of what it means to be human. And I think that's what Beckett's all about. And that's what our movie's to some degree about. It gives us new insight into Beckett too, knowing that he wrote this play in game after his mother uh, passed and his favorite aunt. So it really gives us a whole different meaning behind this play. Well, absolutely. I think that, you know, Beckett is, would never allow anything to be super simple. So there's a, there's many, many levels of metaphor in the play, but that is certainly the journey of a of people from the sort of uh, day-to-day life that's, uh, I guess, positive and moving forward, and the deteriorating one that is when you have an incurable disease uh, is one that he knew very well. He also, of course, you know, there's the chess metaphor. He was a great chess player, and, and this is a big part of Endgame. Um, the, the stage being a skull, it's almost like you're inside the head of someone who's suffering from a disease. The end of life, of course, which we're talking about, and the sort of post-apocalyptic nightmare that other people sort of attach to Beckett. Those are all extant in this in this work. Beckett was profound and, and an incredible writer, and I'm, we're indebted to him for, uh, for putting this thing together, which speaks so clearly to Parkinson's. What's the significance of the title, Me to Play? Well, um, it's a key element to the play. It, when when Ham takes off his uh, uh, the 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 headdress he's wearing while he's sleeping, he like the king on a chessboard announces that he's ready to do it, and he says, "Me to play." Um, also, when uh, we got to to the set um, where where they were doing the uh, stage play, uh, Dan sat down in in his throne, and then began to just mumble me to play me to playing with it me to play me to play and then and i loved that and then additionally it's about these guys being able to do that thing that they love so much to play in a play the way they have for a combined six you know six decades of of uh, of careers um that they were worried they would never be able to do again so the fact that they get to play again was really really important because one of the messages in this is that these guys struggle and put on tried to put on something which was uh, heroic and and Herculean. and if they can do it then in our everyday struggles we can too what did you learn about resilience just watching these guys was uh, a lesson in resilience. Every day it was hard for them to be on the same page, to push through their disease and what it was doing to them. And also Parkinson's is, is a neurological disease. So it's not just a physical ailment, it, it impairs your executive function. So decisions are what being an actor is all about. Watching them have to fight through to make decisions that would add and, and be positive for this for the work that we're trying to do. And then also just get to rehearsal and and do the job when they could have just laid back and taken it easy was it was an absolute lesson in what it means to be heroic and be resilient and do what you're supposed to do uh they are real heroes in my book and it was a pleasure to chronicle and watch them do it i scoured the internet looking at interviews that you've done and you mentioned that it's easier for somebody with parkinson's to follow a direction than make a decision to do their own direction. 
I thought that was kind of interesting. Right. It, it, it's, it is really interesting. And it's why, just going into the sort of science of it, uh, some people use like laser pointers to cross thresholds in rooms and such like that. Um, but it's a fascinating situation because so Dan and Chris, who sort of stumble and mumble with their Parkinson's through, uh, you know, interviews and such like that with them, when given direction on stage to project as one one has to to do a, to present to, you know, a, a audience full of 200 people or something like that, um, they can do it because they've been directed. The mind is a very strange thing. And when, when malaffected with something like Parkinson's is especially odd. And this is one of those strange tricks of it that uh, with direction, they could they could act again. And that's really something that's fabulous. In looking at the numbers of people that get Parkinson's disease, I was really surprised. Something like 50 to 60,000 people get it a year. And I didn't think it was that big of a thing. And really this film, I mean, if it weren't for Michael J. Fox, and I think, didn't Catherine Hepburn have it? Catherine Hepburn had it, Janet Reno had it, uh, Linda Ronstadt, lots and lots of people, it turns out. Uh, Bob Hoskins retired from acting when he when he uh, announced that he had it. It's very, very prevalent. You're absolutely right. And then your numbers are correct. About a million Americans have, have it or have been diagnosed with it. And 50 to 60,000 are added to that list every year. It is um, a epidemic of neurological diseases when you add it to some of the other diseases like Alzheimer's that they're searching for a cure for. As with an aging population, this is the sort of next frontier. And the brain is so complex that I think we're a long way from conquering these things. But I'm thrilled that people like Michael J. Fox are, and, and the Davis C. Finney Foundation and such like that are putting out the work and, and supporting science to hopefully get to the bottom of this. And someday, I assume we will. I will say that when my dad came down with it uh, 25 years ago, he proudly said, yeah, because he was a scientist himself, five or 10 years, they'll have this conquered. Well, we started shooting this film about 10 years ago, and they said, Dan's doctor said to him, five or 10 years, they'll have this conquered. I hate to say it, they're kind of no closer today. The basic science may be making great inroads, but truly, we're still at the starting point when it comes to understanding the brain. And with Parkinson's, that's what you need to understand in order to understand how to possibly save people from this disease. They made a documentary about Linda Ronstadt and I think it affected her voice. She couldn't sing or talk. Sure. Uh, Parkinson's does a lot of different things. It can either freeze you up or it can make you shaky. It's a very complex disease. And, and, and that's one reason I think why they may, I'm not a scientist and I wouldn't pretend to know this, but that may be one reason why it's so hard to get to the bottom of it. Both we're just at the very dawn of understanding the brain science. And two, it does so many different things. It's hard to know what might be best to try to solve it. Some medicines work in some ways and others work in other ways and two Parkinson's patients might react very, very differently. I feel for people who've spent their lives performing and this steals that, the one thing that, that they know how to do and love doing. Uh, and it, that's especially almost like Greek tragedy when it freezes up someone's vocal cords who's an incredible singer like Linda Ronstadt or freezes your face if you're a, an actor like Dan or Chris or you know, or others. So yeah, it's, um, it's very, uh, it's, a, it's a vile, vile disease. And there is no cure. That's uh, what is the trajectory? I mean, how long can someone live with Parkinson's disease? Well, you mentioned Catherine Hepburn. Janet Reno is another one. These people, you know, live for two, three decades on occasion. Some people crumble, you know, much, much faster. I think the more you know, sometimes the the more difficult it can be. These guys believe that, you know, 
do being physical, doing Tai Chi or exercise or stretching or, or processes could, you know, keep them in good shape. And I think they're right. And they, they did these things. People, you mentioned my dad, people like my dad, who's a, you know, a doctor and a scientist were like, there's no cure. I give up. And it was much, much faster for him. So I think that a positive attitude and doing exercise and keeping yourself attuned, doing the right things, eating right, not smoking, things like that can really sustain you. I, I'm a real believer in, I guess, clean living when it comes to this stuff, but it can really make a difference. What was the biggest challenge for you in making this film and how did you overcome it? The hardest thing for me was figuring out the story. Certainly these guys start rehearsing and put up this play and it's unclear whether they're going to do it or not. But I thought there was so much more to it. And I really tip my cap to my editors. We found a love letter to New York. We found basically like a day in the life of New York actors and what it means to fight through this stuff. We, of course, also discovered that Beckett spoke so clearly to the day-to-day um, crises that they faced and, and found a way to incorporate that into the film. So figuring out how to, if you will, build that weave was the, the most difficult part of this movie. And I'm glad to say that collaborating with some terrific editors, we were able to find it and weave all those things together to make a interesting movie that's more than just like, can they put on the play? In watching the film, it really seems as if it's an expression and an appreciation for life and how precious that gift is. That's right. That's right. I, I, I couldn't agree more. First of all, you know, uh, Ruthie, who's Dan's wife and the producer of the stage play, says, you know, tomorrow's not promised for anybody, something that she says in the movie. And that struck me. And every time I see it in the in the you know uh, rushes i was like that is such an important point and so important to realize outside of filmmaking outside of this movie just in life you don't know whether you're gonna be hit by a bus tomorrow or anything like that or come down with something like parkinson's or live another 70 years happily um so it's important just to take advantage of the moment and these guys they struggle it's it's hard but anything as Chris says at some point, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at first and then mastering and getting right. So it's worth it to like believe that you only live once and just let's dive in. These guys do it and, and I'm glad that I'm doing it too. Chris is having trouble uh, with speech, so is Dan, and sometimes Dan feels like there's somebody else possessing his body. It's very brave of them to do this. What's the bravest thing you've done? Oh, wow. Um, This may sound trite, but I'm going to say parenting is the hardest thing that I've done, and giving birth to this project is is sort of uh, the same kind of thing. The challenges that you face, uh, this is again very much like i think becca would agree with me that are just in everyday life are um so extreme that um everyone's done it but everyone's got their own take on it and when you've got when you're two parents and you've got two children you're outgunned outmanned and out you know outstaffed in every way so um i'm gonna go with that although it sounds pretty sort of flat um given the uh the journey that i've been on you know, raising my kids, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with that. There's a lot more things I've done, like in the moment that are brave. But when it comes to long term things like facing a disease, uh, I guess <laughs> raising a family is, uh, is the closest I can come to it. This is a terrible metaphor. And I apologize for that. But that's what struck me. <laughs> that's okay. Um, what did you learn about yourself and about the process in making this film? 
I learned a lot. One is perseverance. You know, it's very Beckettian, but the sort of uh, I can't go on, I'll go on really speaks directly to low budget, independent documentary filmmaking. This is a project I started when my daughter was two weeks old and now she's in middle school. So it's the kind of thing that you realize that you know, you've got to stop and raise more money or your uh, editor you know, took sort of a hiatus or whatever it might be. But to get it where you want to go, you just have to keep charging and never give up. You've got to be like a dog with a bone. And that's sort of what I was with this project. And I'm glad that I was because we have a result. I think that it's presenting to people a way of looking at people with a disease like this and seeing that they're working hard and they're doing everything they can and that there's things we can do and they can do to make their lives a little better and make the caregivers lives who are sort of the unsung heroes in this movie caregivers like the wives and the kids and the nurses and the doctors to recognize that this is like a like it's a it's a family it's a village it's a it's a group that's 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 facing this struggle and it's thrilling to me to be able to be kind of a spokesperson for that 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 vantage point these wives who we spend a lot of time with in this movie they didn't sign up for this but they're faced with it my mom certainly didn't sign up for this and she was faced with it these are unsung heroes and it it's it's been a pleasure to highlight them i will say that when i do like the q a's at, at festivals and such like that someone always raises their hand with like a non-question that's really like a heartfelt yearning because of their experience with a disease like this they usually then come down the you know to speak to me after the q a is over and we spend a lot of time talking i'm not a doctor or a therapist but I, it's clear that this movie touches something that moves people to feel like they are they're getting something deeper than the, just the entertainment of watching a movie out of this and that makes me really really happy what was it like when dan and chris saw the film i showed it to them in various different times when it was a you know, three-hour masterclass in rehearsal, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to, you know, to what it is now, which is a lovely weave, I hope, between Beckett's uh, Love Letter to New York and what it's like to be an actor and also have disease. And each time they've brought something to the viewing, I'll tell you that they both feel like, God, I want more play in this movie. And I'm like, a play is a play for a reason. Um, a movie is a movie for a reason. To have more play in the film would kind of you know uh, defeat that that uh, bifurcation so you know i've gotten a lot from them as they watch it and i think they're both very very happy with it and i'm thrilled that they're happy with it because this is a moment in time for them when as chris says at one point his kids were starting to know him longer as long with the disease as they'd known him from before they had the disease mm -hmm. well this is a way for the general public to know them at this moment in time when they had the disease but could still do great work I think that's important to have, to have captured. There's a scene in the film where uh, the wives are watching and that's a funny part in the play and everybody's laughing. And that really is a poignant moment because they're basically looking at their, their final days in some ways, you know, or just things aren't the same. And yet to find humor in that, I just thought that was pretty powerful. Oh, that's great. You know, I, I will tell you that I'd never quite thought of it that way, but I think that's totally right. We've been with them as they've, as they've expressed how hard this is, and now they get the release of seeing these guys 
doing what they've done as long as they've known them uh, at the top of their game. It, it, it's absolutely right. It's a it's a really joyous moment and it's sort of a nice release for them and hopefully for the audience at that moment. Because as you say, we've seen them sort of go with gritted teeth to the doctor with, you know, their husbands and such like that. But now we get to see them smile through them putting up a great performance. What would you like an audience to go away with after they see your film? Well, um, I hope they come out first entertained. I hope that they laughed and cried. I think that there's so much more to this than just this sort of, uh, you know, inevitable destruction of Parkinson's disease. But there's some really wonderfully funny situations that these guys sort of create or, or stories they tell sort of that are fabulously hilarious. And so I hope that they come away realizing that this, you know, while, you know, um, that life isn't just sort of nasty, brutish and short, but also if you play it right, like, you know, Beckett certainly wanted us to, that there's a lot of unhappiness, but nothing is funner than unhappiness. If Beckett were alive today, I think that he'd be more like, uh, you know, a, a Dave Chappelle character, like shining a bright light on what it means to, to be alive rather than like some hermit, you know, locked away, just, you know, writing Unabomber sort of manifestos. And the world is just like that. It is crazy out there. But if you can just drill down to, to, to be honest with yourself and be true to yourself, you can find the funny and make it worthwhile and, and hopefully touch people. Meet to Play is currently streaming on Amazon Prime and Apple TV. If you'd like more information about the film or Parkinson's disease, visit theendgameproject.com. Until next time, this is Mark Gordon, and I'll see you center stage. Do you think it was easier making your film <laughs> to do this interview? Um, well, it's certainly been shorter process, but it's but the problem solving is you know my bag as a producer. So this is. Um, you know, not uncommon. I'm glad that we found a way to get around it, is all I can say. So I don't know when you're going to start the record or whatever, but uh, we're, but we're recording. Starting. We're recording right now. Oh, yeah. great. Is this going to be part of your part of your presentation? Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, great. This is very Beckettian, if anything. Um, I love. So. And where else can you talk to someone and they say Beckettian? I, exactly. <laughs>